Now presenting. And I'm so sick of people saying that that love is just all a woman is fit for. I'm so sick of it. The Cinema Chicks Podcast. Maybe I'm one of those people that has always wanted to do it, but it's like a pipe dream. Totally by guess. Snap out of it. Starring Hope Johansson. I'm not a poet. I'm just a woman. And Madeline Rancourt. Yeah, Call me Ladybird like Christine. you said you would. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Cinema Chicks podcast. We truly appreciate all of your support. We want to let you know that today's episode does have listeners discretion advised, as the movie we are about to review has trigger warning topics of sexual assault and death. Feel free to stop listening at any point and listen to one of our many other episodes. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Hope. Hey, I'm Madeline. And we are the Cinema Chicks. Hope I'm so excited to talk to you today and also to hear about what you've been watching recently. Okay, so the best thing I've watched recently, I got back on like my old movie kick and right after my family and I got the COVID vaccine, we were like kind of wiped out, you know, and mm. my mom and I were just like laying on the couch exhausted and we went to turn the channel on to TCM because we love uh, some Turner classic movies in my household. <laughs> and this movie was starting that neither of us had ever seen. It's from 1938. It's called Test Pilot, starring Myrna Loy, Clark Gable, and Spencer Tracy. And we don't know how we've never seen it before, because those are three of our favorite actors and just like best actors ever. And it was so good. I was, I was obsessed with it. Clark Gable's like, this military test pilot and he crash lands in Myrna Loy's farm and then she goes with them and they get married and Spencer Tracy is his right hand man and tries to like keep him on the straight and narrow path because when he wins money from from flight races he goes on like benders and <laughs> oh my gosh it's it's so good I loved it and Myrna Loy had fantastic costumes too I love that I haven't seen that but that's definitely gonna have to be on my list soon I highly recommend it you know 40s movies are usually my jam so branching out to like 1938 I was like "Ooh, I'm I'm pushing my boundaries (laughs) I'm growing as a person (laughs) what have you been watching Madeline I love that I have been sadly motivated to watch older movies because of Letterboxd because they can like organize your movies based on when they came out and when I do that it's like really sad to see how little I have seen from like the past 50 years like everything is pretty current which is okay Mm. but I need to expand my movie watching palette a little bit more I think yes Uh, but I did that recently a little bit I watched funny face which loved so so much I mean, I'm sure people know, but it's Audrey Hepburn and Fred Astaire. And she goes to Paris and there's fashion and New York and love. It's like all my favorite things tied into one movie. And just the aesthetic of it is amazing. It's musical. There's dancing. There's singing. I loved it so much that I watched it. And then I was like, I need to watch this again. And I was talking to my roommate and I was like, have you seen this? And she's like, no, I haven't. And I mean, of course she knew what it was. It wasn't like, have you heard of this underground movie with Audrey (laughs) Hepburn? I mean, it's, it's nothing new, but I 
watched it with her immediately the next day. And I just love it. And I'm going home soon to see my family. And I'm going to be like, everyone sit down or watching this movie because it just makes me happy. It's a happy movie. No, oh, I, I just really, really loved it. Have you seen it? I'm sure you have. I have seen it. I also adore Funny Face, especially Audrey's wedding dress. Oh, I know. And that movie is everything that my dreams are made of. It, it is just a very aesthetically pleasing film. And it's so it's just so sweet. And it does make you happy. The fashion in that movie is just so so good it's you know one of the one of the big parts that's like you always see photos of it which so many moments when watching it I was like oh I've seen this like when she's on the staircase in the red dress yes I just loved that part oh my gosh hope I could just gush about it all day when he's like stand there she's like I can't stop I don't want to stop oh I just loved it and she worked with Givenchy for that which she worked with for, you know, most of her red carpet and, and films. And I was so excited because I'm taking a, a fashion class this semester. And it's actually about, oh yeah, it's actually a class about like fashion and media and culture and how like celebrities influence it and stuff like that. And I think that's so interesting. And we actually talk a lot about how like, a lot of people learn about fashion from movies and TV and like seeing those sort of costumes and that, you know, that's kind of an outlet for a lot mm-hmm. of people who live in maybe a smaller town and don't have as much exposure. And I was looking at the syllabus and towards the end of the semester, we're going to be watching Funny Face. So I'm thrilled. That's so exciting. I love that. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. Have you seen like a lot of Gilmore Girls? Are you like yes. a Gilmore Girls person? Yes. Okay, well, if you recall, in like season six or seven, when Lorelai and Christopher go out on a date and he rents that convertible and they watch a movie on the back of the barn, it's funny face that they watch. Oh, oh, okay. I little connection there for you. <laughs> I haven't seen it in quite some time, but I love that. I really love that. That's really cute. But other than that, recently I watched the movie that we're going to be discussing today, Promising Young Woman. I am so excited to get into this movie because one, there's just a lot to unpack. And two, I think it's one of the best movies I have seen in a long, long time. And kind of similar to I'm Your Woman, it sparked the filmmaker within me and inspired me to to want to make more movies like this, you know, pushing boundaries, subverting expectations. Oh, oh my gosh, I, I can't wait to get into it. Same, same. It's directed by Emerald Fennell. And written by Emerald Fennell. And it's starring Carrie Mulligan, Bo Burnham, Allison Brie, Jennifer Coolidge, Molly Shannon. I mean, the cast, uh, Laverne Cox, it just, it's an amazing, amazing cast, all led by Carrie Mulligan. But the ensemble of this is really, really strong and it, and it shows. Exactly. And it totally carries the film. I think the casting was done perfectly and just the writing was perfect as well because it's written in such an ensemble format even though it is about this 
one friendship. It takes a village to have this story be told. And, oh, they did it so well. For sure. It just, the writing, like you were saying, was, I, I mean, I don't even know how it could be written better. And maybe that's like me looking at it like through this like starry eyed gaze. But I was on the edge of my seat through every moment because there were so many twists and turns. And I think that's really accredited to the character of Cassie was built really perfectly, of course, by Emerald Fennell's writing, but also Carrie Mulligan's performance. This was a role, Hope, that like, I think both of us as actresses could watch and was like, you could see the amount of work that she put into this. There can be an amazing performance, but it's like, oh, that like, just feels like second nature to them, which is great. But this really felt like just an extension of Carrie Mulligan and she has these amazing pastel nails and she's just tapping her fingers which I mean is something that people will do like to deal with trauma and anxiety and like that just those small details and this whole world that they created for her with these like it was almost young with pastels and I mean it was just beautiful I agree I clearly saw all of the work that Carrie Mulligan put in and not in like a way that it's like oh my gosh she's trying so hard but the performance was just so meticulous and so lifelike Mm. that and it was so natural that you, you and I both know how much effort it takes to get a character to that point so if Carrie's not winning awards for this, I'm going to start throwing hands up, ship myself to Hollywood and, <laughs> and fight some people over that. I agree. I'll be right there with you. The movie starts off Cassie, who is Carrie Mulligan's character. She's 30 years old. She lives with her parents and she dropped out of medical school. We don't really know fully why. She works at a little coffee shop cafe and we see her going to this bar And she picks up men because she will fake being like really, really intoxicated. And these men will pick her up and bring her back and take advantage of her. But then she'll reveal that she's sober and she'll be like, hey, you're not a good guy. What are you doing? Do you even know my name? Do you know my job and stuff like that? And they're like, I'm, I'm a good guy. I promise. And she's like, no, you were taking advantage of me because you thought I was drunk. And now that I'm sober, you're stopping. And she does this continuously. And then after she'll write in a little notebook and we don't fully know why, but then later it's revealed that her best friend, Nina Fisher, who she grew up with, that she went to school with was assaulted at a party while they were in medical school. So her motive to kind of do this and catch guys within the act is almost this revenge plot towards what happened to her and what happened to Nina. Yeah, it's so interesting to come up with this concept, but as a friend, I cannot even imagine how helpless Cassie feels in this situation and this is like the only means she can find to prevent what happened to Nina from happening to other girls and clearly she has done this time and time again probably for years looking at the 
the size of her notebook and how used the pages are, it's really interesting. We see a couple different men that she tricks throughout the film. And it's so fascinating to see all of their reactions once she, you know, reveals that she's sober. They, like, snap out of it so quick. And immediately they're like, I'm a nice guy. I'm a nice guy. I was just trying to help you. It's like, help her what? Like, come on. Oh, my gosh. It's so funny. But, like, sad funny because it's so true. And, you know, say la vie, I guess. (laughs) But at least we have Cassie's out there trying to prevent this from happening again but back to Cassie's day life she works at a coffee shop with her boss played by Laverne Cox and one day a former classmate Ryan Cooper played by Bo Burnham rolls up into the store and he's like oh I I I recognize you and she's like okay (laughs) sure yeah we went to med school together and he's like well, do you, do you want to go out sometime? And she's like, what? N- no. And he is, you know, really eager to go out with her. So eventually they do. And we get this little relationship budding as this fun side plot, which is super cool. But this then motivates Cassie to start her exact revenge plot to get back at the people who were responsible and complicit in Nina's assault and her court case, which eventually led to her death. Yeah. And honestly, I think the motive for Cassie to go on with his whole plot, I mean, it's sparked by Bo Burnham's character, Ryan, is her former classmate. And he says that Al, who was the one who assaulted Nina, is now getting married. So the fact that he's moving on with his life and Nina took her own life after the failed court case. So the first person that Mm -hmm. she starts with is her old friend, Madison McPhee, played by Allison Brie. And she takes her to lunch and she gets her drunk and she gets Madison to pretty much start talking about it. And she is in disbelief and she's like well why would I why would I think about that like that's in the past and stuff like that and then when Cassie leaves she goes over to a man and she has him take Madison up to a hotel room but nothing happens there but she just wants to scare Madison enough that when she sobers up she's like oh my gosh was I with this guy this scene is fantastic and Alison Brie was a hoot. I was obsessed with her performance. And it's really sad to think that people have so little empathy that they have to be put in these compromising and scary positions in order to understand how other people feel and in order to acknowledge the pain and the suffering that someone else went through. Right, right. And that's kind of what Cassie continues to do is she wants these people to get to a vulnerable enough place where they can in some sort of way understand or feel for what happened to Nina. And the next person she does that to is Elizabeth Walker, who is the dean of the medical school. And she 
dismissed what happened to Nina. And when Cassie meets with her, she's like, oh, yeah, Al just came here to give a speech. And, oh, yeah, he's doing great. And what Cassie did to Elizabeth is before we see them meet together in her office, we see Cassie go to Elizabeth's daughter's school. And she picks her up by saying, oh, I'm going to do uh, makeup for this music video. Do you know where it is? And Cassie knows that the daughter loves this certain band. So she knows that the girl's going to want to help her. And she's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'll go with you. I'll, I won't tell anyone about this music video. I want to go with you. So basically, Cassie takes Elizabeth's daughter. In reality, she's actually safe and fine at a diner. But in order to scare the Dean, she comes up with this elaborate plot that she reveals to the Dean that she dropped her daughter off in the same room that Nina was assaulted in with a bunch of med students who have lots of alcohol. Right. So that's one of the ways that she gets to Dean Walker by putting her daughter in that position and basically being like, well, how would you feel like this is what happened to Nina? And that scene was so, so tense. And it's just the two of them going back and forth. And oh, it was it was incredible. I could go back and watch that forever and ever. And like, honestly, I think that's such a great just the way that they kept the tension going and never dropped the ball. It just kept getting even more heightened. And I could just go back and watch that on repeat. Honestly, it was like a masterclass. Agreed. A masterclass, not only in acting, but also the editing to keep it so sharp. Yeah. And suspenseful. Chef's kiss. <laughs> I'm obsessed. And the next person on Cassie's list is Al's lawyer, who harassed Nina to drop her charges. And when she goes to his place, she talks to him about the case and he has not forgotten it at all. He says that it keeps him up at night and he has this mental breakdown about his guilt and he asks Cassie to forgive him. And she does. And when she leaves the house, you see that there was a man waiting outside. And I want to say it's like supposed to be a hitman Mm -hmm. or at least someone to interrogate the lawyer. And that's kind of a successful one for Cassie is she sees that this person actually is taking the blame and the fault for what happened to Nina. And I think that's she she at least knows that somebody is aware of what happened and didn't just move past it. Exactly. And he at least remembers her, too, and thinks about her, unlike the previous two people she has spoken to. I mean, the dean at the med school was just like, mm-hmm. Pardon, but this man it clearly thinks about Nina's life and her existence and how he ruined it and destroyed who she was by helping her assailant. So that's like a little moral victory. But after this, then we we go into this cute little like love montage of Cassie and Ryan, and they have this beautiful relationship form and it's so fun to watch I I was so excited I had all of the world swelling up within me for them and Cassie was like finally really happy and having fun and besides all of the high drama in the movie I think my highlight of this film was 
when Cassie and Ryan are dancing to Paris Hilton in the <laughs> pharmacy. It's perfect. It was really great. It's almost this like dream state. It took me out of the film. Honestly, I was like, wait, what's going on? But I think honestly watching it, I was like, wait, how does this go with the rest of the movie? But I think it wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to like... Cassie's taken out of her plot and now she's like suddenly falling in love with this guy. But that all sort of comes to a halt when Madison, who we remember she got drunk and started talking about the case with Cassie at lunch. She comes to Cassie's house and she's like, did something happen after lunch? I woke up, there was this man and Cassie assures her that no, nothing happened. And Madison gives her an old phone that she had from the party. And it has a video of Nina's assault. And she gives it to Cassie. And she says, never contact me again. (laughs) And this was this was wild. I was like, this girl really just gave evidence to a case that could have been this evidence I'm assuming wasn't used in the case originally. But now she has it. And she basically just said, like, here's a video of what caused, like, awful trauma for you and your friend and probably many others and your families. Don't talk to me. Yeah, it's insane. And she's like, watch it. Don't watch it. I don't really care. But it's yours. I'm closing this part of my life. And, you know, let's never come back to it again. So Cassie is like tormented about whether or not she's going to watch it. She does. And it's on a Blackberry, which (laughs) I think is kind of humorous, but inappropriate prop choice that just like tickled me a little. But Cassie watches it and we don't see it. Thank God. I would not. I don't think I would forgive anyone who made the film if something like that was shown. But just hearing the audio was shocking enough and like churned my stomach enough because everyone is laughing and there are many people there who are watching this happen, including boyfriend Ryan. Mm-hmm. I agree. We didn't need to see what was there. And what we see is we see Cassie's reaction to it. And that's horrific enough in the audio. And you see that moment when Cassie realizes that Ryan was there and he was complicit to what was happening. And she immediately goes to see him because she's shocked that he was there. And they had talked about it before and he said he he wasn't involved. And he's a doctor because they, they went to medical school. So mind you, all of these people have, you know, very high jobs that are on the line. And she says she's going to release the video, which, you know, him being there, that's that's going to ruin a lot of things for him, as it should. And she says she won't release the video unless he tells her where Al's bachelor party is being held. And he does. And he begs for her forgiveness. And she refuses, which honestly... I really, really liked because if she just forgave him and was like, all right, I forgive you. It was years ago. Like, (laughs) let's be back in a happy like relationship. No, that wouldn't that wouldn't work. She's so far invested as she should be. It worked perfectly. So next we see her arrive at Al's bachelor party and this amazing like violin instrumental of toxic is playing i was honestly dancing in my seat watching this it was so good and this was what like you know there's those moments in a trailer where they obviously put it in there because they know the audience is gonna be like "Ooh, that looks interesting and this whole sequence was 
in the trailer quite a bit, rightfully so, with this colorful pastel wig, which the pastels throughout the movie really just gave this feeling of youthfulness and like this almost like Cassie holding on to the past, but in this innocent way, like not malicious. And it just worked great. So she shows up, she's in this pastel wig and she's in this nurse outfit and she's going there to be a stripper. And she drugs Al's friends. She takes Al upstairs and she handcuffs him to the bed. And Al's like, who brought a stripper? Like, I love my, I love my fiance. I love her. Like, I didn't want a stripper. And they're like, oh, come on, dude. And like, you got to go. So they go upstairs. And this is where things really take quite a turn. Yeah, I did not expect this movie to go the way it does. There's so much to unpack within just the last like 15 minutes. So In order to do that, we are going to bring in some special guests to help us talk about the end. Our very first guest stars on the Cinema Chicks podcast. So let's welcome them. Hi, my name is Riley McCarthy. I'm a playwright, screenwriter, and actor. And I go to school with Madeline and Hope and Tori. Hi, I'm Tori. Uh, I, of course, go to school with everyone. I am a playwright, a director, and an actor. I'm so happy to have the two of you joining us right now because there's a lot to unpack in this little chunk. We need all of the voices and opinions we can get, and I have the utmost respect for the both of you, so this is going to be really good. Madeline, where were we? I second that. I'm so excited to have both of you. We left off right around when Cassie goes up to the bedroom with Al. And like we said earlier, this is really where things start to take a twist. And I'm just so excited to hear what you guys have to say about this because it was shocking. But for me, in my opinion, It was shocking in the best way possible, and I felt like it really served the story. So I'm thrilled to have you guys and hear what you have to say. Thank you for having us. I definitely think that the ending is necessary and cathartic. I actually found that I would have probably been disappointed if the story had gone in the way that it was advertised as like a femme fatale revenge plot. Because I think by the end of the movie, and especially leading up to this point, we are shown time and time again that Cassie's objective is not to kill or necessarily, like, extremely physically harm these people that she's targeting. So much as she wants to cause them to be as miserable as her friend was. So leading up to this moment, I I think it was a little bit foggy, perhaps for everybody where it was going to go but when it did make that big dramatic turn that it it was definitely necessary can we talk about the wig and how beautiful she is before things go south like oh yeah i mean that's just that's something that you know we we always see in that every single scene that she is you know yes she looks drunk yes she looks this and this and that but she always looks beautiful um no matter you know what outfit she has on and and i think that's part of it and that definitely you know speaking to men just in general not really expecting much of women not you know and women being able to undermine men because you know they're they just 
they don't see us as equals and so i think the fact that she is this like beautiful you know sexy woman i think that just adds even more to it i 100 percent agree and it's also that weird combination too madeline and i were talking earlier about this kind of innocent aesthetic that surrounds cassie with like the pastel colors and the rainbow effect like really at the end of the day women in the world have been taught that men expect like this innocence and beauty at the end of the day and to not you know be thinking about like revenge plots or manipulation or or any of the things that are in Cassie's mind so the fact that she does present in this stereotypical innocent way is just so fascinating to see the juxtaposition not only in her actions throughout the film but also in this ending so to catch everyone up to speed al and cassie are upstairs in the bedroom at this cabin cassie handcuffs him to the bed under the guise of like oh no this is just like you know my job as a as a stripper you know it's it's fine but then she reveals her name when he asks and says that it's Nina Fisher. Can we talk about his reaction to that? Yeah, I was taking some notes earlier about this recurring theme in the story, which is every single time she visits a man, he claims he doesn't remember what he was doing. And there's a big dramatic question posed by this film, which is, can rape culture truly end unless bystanders take action? And there is this willing and cognizant decision that these men are making to pretend that they have forgotten the evil misdeeds they have done to women and when she comes up there and reveals her name and decides that she's going to carve nina's name into his stomach really that serves the purpose of causing him this helplessness and pain that nina felt when he did such an evil thing to her and she wants him to live with that guilt for the rest of her life. Now, I, I did also think it was really interesting that the hand he kills her with is the one he complained about being too tight. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I was... First of all, I, I love in the editing that we don't really get to see how he comes loose because we, we didn't need that. It's unnecessary. I... I too am also curious about this. What do you think, Tori? It's funny. Riley and I had a conversation. That's that's something that we had talked about a couple weeks ago. And when we had spoken about that, I I had said that. I was like, like that is the one. And I devised this whole conspiracy theory that it it was on purpose. Which, you know, we'll never know. But I, I kind of had this conspiracy going that she did something to that cup in order to have him break free or you know something mm. eventually which you know you never know but that that is a running conspiracy theory for me that she did intentionally do something to that specific handcuff which would eventually uh release him if he pushed hard enough against it yeah tori i think that's a really interesting idea because towards the end of the film we see that cassie almost saw this coming for herself it wasn't like she was shocked that he was going to fight back so the idea that maybe she had planned that with the handcuffs i think definitely would be really really fascinating and i think would would be really true to cassie's character it wouldn't be shocking for her to have done that because everything that she did was so plotted 
and like masterfully thought out. I, I like that take. That's a that's an interesting, interesting theory. I just want to like scoot back to just this idea of like revenge and like people really looking at this film as a revenge film and it's real. It's really not. I, you know, th this is again something that you know Riley and I had talked about. But she's not a monster. She does. She doesn't want to get you know revenge because you know in a lot of people's eyes, getting revenge or things like she she would have actually gone through with the dean's daughter and Madison and all of these different things. But that would have been a hundred percent hypocritical on her part she didn't want revenge she wanted to get even the bottom line is that she wanted to get even and for everyone to own up to it and and you know for Al specifically for him to to not be murdered to not be you know castrated or or raped as you know a lot of people had wanted to see in the ending but she wants him to go to jail. She wants him to pay for what he did. You know, it, it reminds me of, you know, the concept of, of Jeffrey Epstein, even, and um, him either, you know, suicide or getting murdered, um, you know, whatever happened. You no, know, I view it and a lot of people view it as that's too easy. And just killing him would be too easy. She wanted to get even is, is the bottom line. I think that also speaks to the beauty of it being written and directed by a woman because I think the concept of revenge or getting even looks different on our parts like Cassie's revenge in this is getting people to remember her best friend and to always have her on their minds because for so many years she wasn't absolutely there's great discourse over whether or not Cassie meant to die or not when she went up to the cabin with Al. But I also raise the question, did she have anything to live for at that point? Mm. Her entire life, she had thrown her entire life away caring for Nina. She threw her career away, her chances at love away. And obviously, like with Ryan, I think that was the right decision. But it cost her her entire career and aspirations to care for her friend who would never get justice. And she's not really living much as is. She's spending every night catching <laughs> some very creepy men, trying to do some very dastardly things. And her objective is to frighten them and embarrass them out of ever doing it again. And in a way that the police can't even get involved, because what are they going to say to the police? Oh, I tried to rape this girl, and then, then she turned it around on me and scared me? Like, what are she the police going to do? What are the police going to do? <laughs> but that that's kind of, her life has been just doing that, and living through the pain that she witnessed her friend go through. So, ultimately, in dying... Cassie is set free and that could be seen as like feminist regressive or like oh she has to die to be set free but I think for this particular woman and this particular story the only way that Cassie could find some some meaning in her life was to move on and be with Nina I agree I wish that wasn't the way it had to be because seeing those glimpses of happiness that we did get like when she and Ryan were good and her parents being like you know we miss Nina every day but we've missed you more I was ready to see her be happy and like lead a good life but that's also not the perfect ending to this film the perfect ending is what's to come so to catch the listeners up to speed what happens is Al breaks free kills Cassie and from not even from the grave but Cassie plans out getting 
evidence into the hands of the right people and getting the cops to come and crash Al's wedding and ruin the entire thing and get justice, which is so sad and so strange because neither Cassie nor Nina get to see the way that this is all tied up unless they're seeing it from beyond the grave and having a great time (laughs) together about it. I don't know how that works. I don't think any of us do, but I think... It is the perfect ending to this movie. And I think that's why it's like a five-star movie in my book. But I'm curious to hear about the writer's perspective from this. I think one of the most important parts of this film, which can only be achieved if Cassie dies, is this conversation that Joe and uh, Al have immediately after she dies. Like the, the way that they react to Cassie being dead is so disgustingly selfish and toxically masculine that I I think the point that Emerald Fennell was trying to make with this film, which is the dramatic question of can rape culture truly end unless bystanders take action, is answered by this particular conversation where Joe's immediate thought is, well, let's just bury the body and forget that it ever happened driving home that recurring theme of, oh, I can't remember this evil I did upon women and the violence I have cost upon somebody else. I was also really struck by that conversation right after Cassie's death the next morning. And the fact that Joe hugs Al immediately and is like, everything's going to be okay, buddy. Like, we're going to get through this. Like, you don't get through murder. <laughs> like, why Why are we making rapists and murderers still feel good? And, oh my gosh, even just Al's body language, too. The fact that he was, like, curled up on the bed in the fetal position next to Cassie's body. Yes, that hug was just, oh my god. I was like, are you kidding me? But even before that, what Joe says is it was an accident, right? And Al goes, no, of course not, smacks him. It was an accident, right? And you can only mm-hmm. imagine that that, is a, that, is, that just felt to me like a callback that the audience doesn't see of what conversation transpired after Nina's night, after this night right. and, and these, you know, the accusations come out and what Joe definitely, I mean, we obviously, you know, if we're doing that about murder, we're doing that about rape, like, it, you know, he's going to say that something along those lines of it was an accident, right? It was an accident. And, you know, that that conversation really felt like it was it was almost like a callback, an unseen callback for the audience, too. Oh, totally. And. It just makes me think of how this is constantly being perpetuated from like year to year, century to century, that these are the conversations men are having with each other. I mean, look at what he says to her when she reveals, you know, herself. He's like, you know, talking about the accusations and and he says, do you that that is the man's worst nightmare that is a man's worst nightmare is to have these accusations. And she just looks at him and goes, and what do you think a woman's worst nightmare is? To dispose of her body afterward. They essentially, Al and Joe, just set it on fire. They make this huge fire. But I think there are so many moments after that happens 
that are so important. Mainly when the detective goes to see Ryan and he's like, you know, I, I know you're involved, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and Ryan's like, you know, he has this choice. He has this choice where he can come clean and, you know, give up this evidence and tell. He knows what happened. He can guess. He's a smart guy. And yet, you know, the detective says, do you think like she could have hurt herself or like something like that? And Ryan goes, yes, I do. And I think that, you know, that even though it's it's maybe like a two minute, like in, in terms of writing, it is key elements like that that just make the movie. There are so many moments like that. And I think this movie is just absolutely beautifully written because, you know, it's one of those ones where it doesn't spoon feed the audience and like give all the information, but it, it makes them follow it along. And with those little things, it's it's like going along and picking up these breadcrumbs and figuring it out. So I, I think the movie as a whole, but especially the ending with those key scenes was just beautifully written. In the end, Nina and Cassie are both winners by the end of the story, simply because Cassie attains her goal at the end which is not only is he going to face consequences for his actions, but he's going to have to live with them too. And the fact that their solution to getting rid of all of this is to burn Cassie and all of her belongings that she had with her. Like, talk about, like, disregard for human existence. The thing that really bothered me about the fire is the moment where we see Cassie's hand is kind of, like, out, and we see, you know, the colors and the nail polish and everything. And Joe goes over, and he just kicks the hand in. I, like, almost threw up watching that, not gonna lie. Absolutely so sickening. Yeah, just as if it were another piece of firewood, as if it were nothing. Exactly. Yeah, he really did kick it like, oh, the fire's, like, dying out and, like, put more firewood. It was disgusting, but I, like, oddly, like, from, like, a film perspective, I loved that they put that in there because they put so much emphasis on her painted nails and she had those in every scene and I loved it and there were a lot of close-ups of her tapping her hands and stuff and to see that just was like wow like that that's really the person that we've been watching this whole time I feel like sometimes when like they kill off a character it's it it can be easy to distance yourself but that was like (laughs) shit that's a that's a person in there and the fact that like Joe did that it really spoke to his character and how he just didn't really like he was like we got to move on we got to move on with this day and they continue to move forward they go to the wedding reception yes oh my gosh I'm obsessed with the editing in the very end sequence too the cutting back and forth between like the wedding and the cops and the lawyer and everything that's going on I like oh talk about pacing I agree the pacing in this film I feel like was done so well there was never a moment where I was like you know there's some movies where I've watched and I'm like oh my gosh we've been on this scene for a while and it kind of feels like I'm good like I I got the gist of what's going on in this moment and we don't really nothing's really happening but I felt like every moment was so packed with something that really gave value to the film and it wasn't I, I don't know I honestly would be really interested to see like if there are any deletions scenes or like a director's cut because I just feel like this was the editing was really really well done and it kept the story flowing in such such a great way that kept the audience interested in the story but it didn't feel too like oh my gosh back to back to back moment where it felt too forced there were definitely like a good mix but 
I would be interested to see what was cut, if anything, what Emerald Fennel would have done with maybe the editing. That is super interesting. I know because it is so sharp. But again, the only moment of breath we do really get is that pharmacy dance party. Oh, I love the pharmacy I'm obsessed dance with that party. scene, by the way. I love that scene. I am obsessed with that scene. Oh my gosh. But like, that is the only time that time like drags on and drags out for like a full song and we're just like living in that moment that scene is so important and for us to feel that that scene is like you know like living in that moment is it was so important because you know cassie just wants to live in that moment and finally you know at first she's embarrassed because she's like why are you singing this song in this pharmacy like you're embarrassing and then she she really like lets go and that's got to be the first time since med school that she herself has just felt any sort of just release yeah i i i thought that scene was was so important to to her arc how interesting it is that the word rape is not used once in this movie yes like 100 the first time through when we're in that scene with her and al and she's like you did what and then she's like waiting for him to say the word and it never comes and then i watched it through the second time and i was like oh my god no it's like i'm not going crazy it's never said that is just mind-blowing But this was like, it was the perfect ending to me with this reception because we see at this moment that it's revealed that Cassie gave that lawyer the phone that had the video of Nina's assault and the information starts going everywhere and in result police find remains that are burned which a dog is like sniffing it and I kind of, I enjoyed the dog. The dog saving the day there. (laughs) And there was this great, I don't know what word I want to use, but like just ruining of this happy moment, like a wedding and a reception. And it's such like a, like a hippie wedding where, and it's like outdoors and I don't know, it just seemed very interesting, but it's supposed to be this happy moment. And the police come like storming in and arresting nearly like everyone there because pretty much all of Al's like friends from college were involved and then Ryan is at the wedding and he starts getting texts from Cassie and he's already been talked to by the police about this and these were scheduled texts from Cassie which I didn't I didn't know if that was a thing if you can schedule texts I didn't either but I loved it I mean I know True. you can schedule emails but I didn't know that was a thing for texts too exactly but you know what I don't care I was into it yeah it I worked. think I think you can on on Samsung's I'm pretty sure Mm. and that was the type of phone that they had yeah so and even if it's not a real thing i mean it worked for the film and in you know i i I like to think sometimes like you know in a film or in theater time doesn't maybe work in the same way as our universe you know it's like this own i mean yes this is based in reality but you know maybe in in this world of promising young women you can do scheduled texts (laughs) yeah I'll, i'll buy into anything i mean I I was so invested in everything at that point. Like, I don't think much terrible things could have happened for me not to not love the film. You know what I mean? Like, I I was so invested that anything could fly for me at that moment. I also think that it was just so, like, with the, you know, talking about time and the timing of it, that the texts, as well as the police showing up, 
we're after the ceremony. Like, he thinks he's in the clear. He's all good. Mm -hmm. Chilling. You know, they're married. It's great. And then that happens. So I think that's also just, like, showing of that that last little glimpse of hope. He gets it. And then it's ripped away. Yeah. I love that. Right. The fact that he's gone through the ceremony and is now like, oh, I'm on to my new life and I'm with my wife. And the fact that I killed the woman literally hours ago, he's moving on and he's going to apparently forget about it like he did with Nina. And I just, I, I loved, loved this ending. And the fact that the scheduled texts from Cassie are signed with her and Nina's name. I don't need to be like satisfied with every ending of a film, but this was, to me, it was very satisfying. And it was not the ending that I was expecting. And when it did happen and Cassie was burned, like I was devastated because I was really, really rooting for her character. But I was honestly happy for her in the end because I felt like this is what she wanted. Now she's with Nina. And like Riley was saying, I don't know what else she was going to have to live for. And I think it just... It worked perfectly, and obviously, here we are talking about it. I mean, we had two of our friends who thought this ending was so interesting, rightfully so, that they wanted to join us today. So, I mean, to Emerald Fennel, I think she did her job amazing. She got audiences to be talking about it, and it just... In a way, it breaks my heart because I just think of if I saw this in theaters with friends, like just that energy of like when there's a crazy ending that kind of puts a spin on the like what the audience was expecting, just that feeling of leaving the theater and people that you don't even know, you're all turning to each other like, oh my God, that wasn't what we expected. And wow, that was such an interesting ending. And I mean, to anyone who's interested in seeing this film like I mean I would honestly just watch it for that twist at the end I felt like the writing and the directing and the acting it all just came together beautifully and I just hope that this continues to get the talk that it deserves even though it didn't have the chance to have a theatrical release and throughout the award show season that it gets the recognition that it deserves yeah amen (laughs) I mean that the perfect way to summarize this and I want to know what is in people's heads that like the people who didn't like this and didn't like the ending because after seeing the movie I immediately went on letterboxd to write my review like you know every (laughs) good film person and let me tell you there are some scathing reviews up there like hating on this ending and and saying that it's like cheap and anti-feminist and like a bunch of really kind of bad things and like just to play devil's advocate like how how do you think those people's minds work who didn't like thoroughly enjoy this and don't recognize the genius? I genuinely it? don't understand. And I'm looking at it right now. Like, I just think maybe it went over people's heads. Like, how did they not understand? One person here on Letterboxd says, I don't know why I watch this. It's really not my type of movie. When in, sorry, I'm reading it with a bit of sass because I'm angry at this person. But they said, went into it with an open mind, but the story's conclusion was really upsetting and unsatisfactory to me. The half a star, yeah, half a star, I think I rated this like four and a half. The half a star is for the scene where they played Paris Hilton in a store. It redeemed the rest slightly, but only slightly. Okay, her name is Baby Bones on Letterboxd. And I mean, I'm not saying send hate mail to her, but I am angry. But you're also not saying I'm not also to saying do that. Not to do that. I, I mean, I will say I'm looking at her account here. Little does she know, like, 
she's getting read on a podcast, but she has rated Clueless four stars. I love Clueless. I'm a huge fan, but do I think it's a better movie than this? Mm, I don't think so. So I think she's got some reconsidering to do. I think it honestly just goes back to, I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it just goes back to like, like honestly, just our society and, and not even like society, just humans in general. Like they wanted to see was they didn't want a well thought out, beautiful ending they wanted blood literally and figuratively they wanted the you know for either cassie to rape him or cassie to cut his dick off or cassie to just flat out kill him or kill everyone else and honestly you know women as a whole are oftentimes more composed than that for if you if you take a look at like female serial killers and which she wasn't but oftentimes when when women kill it's it's with poison or it's it's made to look like a suicide or like you know things like that and to want blood to want all of these different things and and demand these it's just it's not it's not true of of who women are and and of who she is as as a and very intelligent calculated woman and i honestly you know think that everyone who left reviews like that didn't really want this what you know like i said this well thought out ending they just wanted blood exactly here is a prime example <laughs> from another letterbox review i just found this is, this is just a snippet of it that perfectly points to what you were just saying tori and i quote marketed as a potential slasher rape revenge flick with no delivery no catharsis the wool has been pulled over my eyes i truly can't with this oh film. that makes me so angry that's just obnoxious <laughs> The other criticism I hear of this is like talking about girl bossing mm. rape. And I I think, again, that's just a very shallow look at this because there is so much more going on here than I think any of us can ever fathom. Like Riley was saying earlier, too, like Cassie has been through so much and her entire life went away when Nina did. So I don't know. I, I think it's genius. I'm here for it. I support it till the end of time. Emerald Fennel, if you need, like, someone to clean your toilets, please I'm call dead. me. I-, <laughs> I I think it's really interesting, too, like, you know, that people are, are calling or saying that this this isn't like a feminist play or like it's not supporting or you know it's not supporting women's rights or things like that and that's just wrong <laughs> a fe- like you know a feminist is not someone who gets justice by going and killing people that that's just not what justice is that's not what a feminist is you know she's standing up and advocating for women's rights and 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 for just basic human rights of it's not okay to be raped Mm -hmm. like no one male female non-binary anyone anyone should never have to go through that and and for people to say that that you know it's it's against feminism is just it's it's mind-boggling to me what did you guys think about the pillow moment with the makeup and everything after that joe reveals i mean one I I think the method of her killing was very appropriate because she was literally silenced mm-hmm. to death. It, it would have been so much easier to, you know, have him like grab the scalpel out of her hands and, and let it be slasher. Those letterbox people <laughs> want. But, but it's not like he takes every 
ounce of strength that he has to physically silence her to her death, which is what happens with most victims of assault, Uh, male, female, non-binary. I mean, no one wants to believe it and no one wants to hear it. So that's how Cassie goes out, which is perfect, in my opinion. If she had to go anyway, that was... Right, I agree. Even though it it was obviously watching it, I was like devastated and like, oh my God, the fact that he suffocated her and like you guys were saying like she didn't have she wasn't able to have her voice in that moment was really powerful and that it was slow and malicious I think it made sense it it was it wasn't like oh my gosh I'm mad at you take the scalpel slit your throat like like you said what some people on Letterboxd might have wanted but I feel like it very much was for Al how do I stop this I think it made a lot of sense and it worked. It worked well. I don't know what I think about the makeup, though. I hadn't thought about that. What was your I mean, take on it, Dory? exactly what you guys were talking about with the, with the silencing. I, you know, having that moment where you where you hear him just say, "Stop talking! Stop moving! Stop talking! Stop moving!" That was just. I yeah. I I agree that I don't think it could have. You know, she could have been killed any other way. But about the makeup, I just gosh, I don't know. It it was it was such an interesting shot because that's once the pillow goes over her face we never see her face again of course we have that hand moment in the fire but I think like Mm -hmm. for me it felt like once her voice was gone she was gone and we didn't feel Emerald didn't feel the need for us to see her and it's it's similar to Nina once the lawyer had bullied her into dropping the charges that was it like she didn't matter so once once you lose your voice once you you can't speak anymore whether it's because you're dead or (laughs) whether you just you you lose that with yourself like nina did no no one really sees you no one cares about you and and i think like having that moment of of the makeup was just like having this moment of of that costume being off we feel the underneath of it's just cassie and all of the makeup is off and her herself that all all of that on is is just she's she's herself when she when she dies that's how I felt it was it was a very strong moment and you know there were so many feelings about that shot and you know what now that you mention it too the fact that we never see her face again but what we do see is the imprint that she left on the pillow and what we see of her the rest of the film is the imprint she's permanently leaving mm-hmm. on all of these people's lives because of what they did in return to her and Nina. That's some interesting Absolutely. symbolism right there. Absolutely. I'm just like, wow, that was just a lot of a lot of things that I feel like could be easily not thought about when watching it. If you're not like fully thinking about all the sort of metaphors that are in it. And I don't know, makes me want to rewatch it. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. And thank you so much to our guest stars Tori Hersant and Riley McCarthy we could not have done it without them you can go and follow us on Instagram at Cinema Chicks Podcast and on TikTok at Cinema Chicks and if you want to be friends you can follow me on Instagram at Madeline Daisy Rancourt and Letterboxd at Madeline Daisy or you can follow me on Instagram at Hope Johansson and on Letterboxd at H Joha. 
And before we end today, we'd like to thank today's sponsors. Pharmacy Dance Parties. Revenge-ish plots written and directed by women. And ride or literally die, best friends. See you all next time. so glad we had that talk. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much.